from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Mazlin. We got college basketball to talk about. We got a Bengals loss and looking forward somewhat to talk about. Um, probably a little bit of college football to talk about to wrap up a couple of seasons and to look ahead to maybe bowl season and college football playoff time. We got a gambling segment and then my favorite portion of the podcast each week where you can ask me a question on any topic. doesn't have to be sports. In fact, we prefer if it's not, but we'll answer a sports question or two as well. Just go to the X verse and hit up the hashtag ask skinny anything. Rick, you got a game as we're doing this broadcast today, uh, this morning on a Wednesday morning, you've got a game tonight as NKU takes on Robert Morris, but we are, it feels like, we've now fully gotten engulfed in college basketball season. I know you've been engulfed for a couple of weeks, but I think for fans, once college football gets into bowl season, regular season ends, I think everybody's ready to turn the page a little bit. I felt the same thing last night while I was watching college basketball. We had feast week, but feast week almost feels like a mirage. Like it's not quite real yes. because we are not at work necessarily. And the schedules are all different and you're watching day games. But last night was like a real Tuesday night, college basketball. Great. You know, yeah. UK and Miami going on. You've got the Cincinnati and Howard game going on if you're a local fan. And there were obviously some other national games of interest to watch as well. So um, it was nice to be fully engrossed in nothing but college basketball for about four or five straight hours last night. Yeah, no action last night, which is disappointing to me. But yes, college basketball is taking center stage. That's right. All right, let's uh, start with the Bengals, though, Skitty. They lost to the Steelers 16-10 to on Sunday they are now five and six on the year and quickly falling behind the rest of the AFC, certainly in the North with the Steelers and Browns at seven and four and the Ravens now at nine and three. Next up is Monday night football against the Jaguars. Um, Skinny, I want to start with the defense and we're going to talk about Jake Browning and the offense, a lot of other things, but first let's focus on the defense because they only gave up 16 points in this game, but they allowed the Steelers to gain 421 yards and convert nearly 50% of the third downs. It was the first time the Steelers had gained 400 yards since week two of the 2020 season. I heard a lot of arguments on both sides coming out of this. It, you know, you listen to Jake Brown, you listen to Zach Taylor, you listen to a lot of people talking after the Bengals game. It's, hey, our defense only gave up 16 points and we found a way to lose the game. That's on the offense. You listen to a lot of the podcasts, the media members and everything, and people are losing their mind about the struggles of the defense this year. Where do you come out on the defense's performance from Sunday? It's terrible. Uh, I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves. I, you know, listen, I, I get it. And, and Luana Rumo's, you know, mantra is always yards don't equal points. Um, but, uh, you know, you gave up four scores to a bad team, three field goals and a touchdown, to a bad offensive team. To your point, 58 straight games they had gone without gaining over 400 yards. And in a vacuum, in a one-game setting, you're like, yeah, it was still only 16 points and, and you know, the yards didn't really mean it. It means a lot when you pile up on top of the 544 the Texans piled up and the 400-plus that the Ravens piled up and the 64 points those two teams scored combined, there are real issues on this defense, and I'm not sure where to pinpoint it exactly. Um, you know, they, they get run on consistently, and, and the, the funny part is the, the front six, if you will, because if you play nickel, you don't have an extra linebacker. The front six are the same guys that have been in this defense the last couple of years. That's the part I don't understand. And yes, you could argue, you know, maybe Von Bell with run fits helps. I thought Jordan Battle run fitted it well on Sunday. So I, I can't point at safety and say that's the problem. I, I think it's the front six just isn't playing up to par this season. And that's what's so hard and so frustrating from a fan's perspective is you watch this and you go, we know these guys are capable. We've seen these exact guys do these things within this exact system with this exact coaching staff. So what has changed and what is the issue? It can't just be the safeties. There's no way. We've talked about it a lot this year, but there, no, right. that's not the only thing that has ruined this defense and made it what it is. And to your point, the, losing a game when you only get up 16 points, you can understand um, it's not the end of the world for defense, but when you pile on the, the cumulative effect of the last few weeks and more so just the, the mystery of it all, Skinny. I mean, we go back to that San Francisco game. We come out of it and we're saying, okay, maybe the defense wasn't all that screwed up. It's just Joe Burrow wasn't on the field. The offense wasn't able to sustain drives and whatever. They're, they're fine now. And then all of a sudden, they're right back to the team that was struggling the first couple weeks of the season to get stops, to stop chunk plays, to get off the field on third down and, and stop the run. That's the part that just befuddles me, and I, I have zero answers as to where to look to, what they should be doing better, who's to blame. I, I really don't know where to point to, and that's the part of this that, like, as fans, as podcasters, as media people, we love to 
like this is the easiest part for us. Point the finger, blame that guy. He sucks. Fire him. Get rid of him. Who is that guy right now on the defense or who are the guys? Because I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, I mean, after the uh, after the Buffalo win, you know, they won the three straight games. I, you know, I wrote a column that, that, you know, as much as people were, were, you know, lauding the fact that Burrow was back and a healthy Burrow, look at the difference. And I was on that page, trust me, um, was also the ascension of the defense because they had played three good games. And in retrospect, you look back on it and the question is, did they? Or were they just lucky to create some turnovers and takeaways? You know, the, the Seattle game. I didn't think it was luck because they already they've been so good in the red zone and they got all those red zone stops at the end of the Seattle game. So I didn't really chalk that up to luck. I chalked that up to that's what these guys do. That's what they're good at. Frisco game, I thought, you know, they gave up a ton of yards, but it was a bunch of garbage yards at the end of the first half, a bunch of garbage yards at the end of the game. Um, so, you know, you kind of let that one go by the wayside. In the Buffalo game, I thought they did play play pretty well. Um, I, I don't know what to point to, you know. I, I don't think DJ readers had the impact that he's had in years past up front. Um, you know, maybe BJ Hill is just a guy and he just should be a rotational player and nothing more. Jermaine Pratt has just not been very good for, for large chunks of this season. I thought he was terrible in the Pittsburgh game. Um, you know, I don't have much fault with Logan Wilson, Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson. And I, again, I'm not, it's everybody's cumulative effort. You know, Chidobe Awuja in the secondary is not the same guy. And it's, it's sad to watch because he was so good before hurting that knee and he just hasn't worked his way back. Um, you know, it, 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 is, it is weird because, again, these are all guys that, that you're like, I've watched them do it before. Why are they not doing it now? And I guess that's that's part of life in sports is nothing's ever the same um, for a collective group or even for individual players. And, you know, a handful of guys, it looks like have backslid. And hence, that's the cumulative effect of what we're watching at the moment. Yeah, coaches use that cliche all the time of every year is a new season. Every team is a new team. And it sounds like a cliche, and it is, but – they say it for a reason because it is true. And uh, sometimes you just can't recapture whatever it was that made you good from the year prior, or a few years prior, even. So, I mean, I think the defense is going to continue to be a talking point going forward. We're not done it with is. this. And it's going to be one of the more fascinating things to watch because for the most part, they have the guys on defense right now. The offense is what it is without Burrow, but the defense, you would expect to see some type of improvement going forward. Uh, Skinny, what grade are you giving Jake Browning for that performance against the Steelers? Uh, a C plus ish, B minus ish. I, I thought he was okay. I mean, first career NFL start. Um, I'd like to put other guys in that category and just see what they did, even maybe highly touted guys and see how they did in their first career start. I'll bet you their numbers aren't going to be much better than Jake Browning's. I mean, in the vacuum of 19 to 26, a passer rating of 96.2, um, you know, for relativity's sake, uh, Joe Burrow's career passer rating is 98. It, it's among the best in, in NFL history at 98. So in a one game setting, his numbers were pretty good. The interception was terrible. He knew it. He diagnosed it for us. Um, I'm going to give him a pass for it. He admitted he made a he made a read, a pre-snap read, and then he admitted I got lazy with it, thinking I'm going to get exactly what I want. I'm just going to throw it out there and try to get a few yards. And he said I should have let the play go through. And that's just an experience thing. I mean, that's really what that is. It sucked. It was a terrible interception. It, it, you can argue it did turn. It was the turning point of the game. You can argue it. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to argue, but I, I get those that would argue that that was the turning point of the game. So, yeah, I C plus B minus. I thought he was fine. This is another one where I, I was interested in the reactions to the defensive performance. And then I was interested in the reactions to Jake Browning's performance because I'm watching the game. I'm thinking, OK, he's he's made some throws. He's he's escaped some pressure, done some things that shows promise. Now, was it enough to win you a game? Did you score points? No, it went about as I would expect it. I actually I predicted they would have 10 points at the end of the game. They had exactly 10 points. Right. So it kind of went as I would expect and the offense wasn't good. At the same time, I wasn't ready to crush Jake Browning after it or necessarily the play calling what they were doing. And then after the game, I'm watching some of the stuff. I Our friend Tony Pike, who is on ESPN 1530, some of the other uh, video breakdown guys on YouTube and all that, and they're just ripping Jake Browning for missing things left and right and ripping the offense for the play calling with him there. I was just a bit surprised by that because I was kind of where you were. I thought he was probably like a B- minus if, if I was going to give him a green. And the funny part is some of the film breakdown is those films from way above. You know where you don't play the game on the field? You don't play the game from a camera angle way above. I can see those things from way above, um, you know, and again, you know, the, the early play to Andre Yoshibosh, did he miss him? He sure did. Could he see it? Could he, I mean, honestly, did he, did, was, was the pressure around him at that point where he just couldn't see it? Uh, maybe. And that's the part that I always love those films. Look, look, he missed this guy. Yeah. He didn't play the game from way above dumbass. Yeah. You know, it's like, Hey, he missed this guy. It's like, yeah, well, uh, three weeks ago, you guys had uh, four or five clips of Joe Burrow missing guys. 
So it happens to every right. NFL quarterback. That even the best ones, I mean, you can't see everything. You don't always have – I mean, the timing isn't necessarily the same on the field in real time like you're talking about as it is when we're watching and it goes, oh, it looks so easy. How do you not see that guy 50 yards downfield wide open? Uh, it's just not the same thing. And the worst is, the absolute worst is, the guys who will uh, tweet out like a screenshot and say, see, he missed – buddy – you can't tell anything from a screenshot. A screenshot tells you literally nothing. Right. If you're doing that, right. you just don't know what you're literally talking nothing. about. I'm sorry. Hey, be, be that grind the, grind, grind the tape. Be the grind the tape guy, genius. <laughs> I mean, give me a freaking break. I love <laughs> grind the tape. I grinded the tape and look at this. Shut up. It's so funny because there are so many guys doing that now, especially with the Bengals and across the yeah. NFL in general. But because we cover the Bengals, we watch the Bengals. I see a lot of the Bengals guys doing it. And in some regards, there's some great content out there. And there's some guys who know a lot of stuff. On the other hand, they've gotten so far down this rabbit hole and they all are so high on their own supply and think they are literal football experts. It's like, buddy, not everything's taught the same way. Not every team's running things the exact same way. You don't necessarily know what the coaching staff was trying to accomplish and what they were telling their guys to do in that situation. So even if you really know football, you don't necessarily always know exactly how guys were told to do something. So um I, I, I get. I, I think it's funny how caught up in that everybody is right now. Skinny, let me ask you this though, yeah, because and, this was another talk. Oh, go and, ahead. And, sorry. But, yeah, let me just throw one more stat, and I think it's a good one. You know, we'll get to the running game, which was just horrific. That that didn't help him either. Um, but on normal downs, um, and and Zach Taylor made the number, and I went back and just double checked the number, which is first and second down. In first and second down settings, normal down settings, he was eight of ten for hundred yards. That's pretty damn good. So basically, third and long is where kind of the issues might have come into play third and medium to third and long. And if you had a better running game, maybe you wouldn't have been in so many of those. This is another thing that I heard, and it never came across my mind during the game, but I'm curious to get your thought. Did you at any point think they might consider making a substitution for Jake Browning? No. Because the offense wasn't moving the ball? This whole A.J. McCarron narrative crack, cracks me up. A.J. McCarron has taken – I'm going to give you how many reps A.J. McCarron has taken in this offense, even in practice. You ready for the number? That's how many reps he's taken. Zero. MV, MVP of the Arena League. MVP of the Canadian League or Arena League or something. I like AJ. Great. Arena League. XFL, whatever Arena it was. League. Hey, XFL. I like AJ. He's go. a really good guy. Um, I'm glad he's back. Um, he had a, a little modicum of success here um, as a backup. But this is a guy that's kicked around for a lot of different teams for a reason. I mean, it just is what it is. Again, great guy. Love him. Uh, when he was a starting quarterback, he's the best press conference quarterback I've ever I've ever been a part of in my time with the Bengals. He was just outstanding. Um, I loved him. But, guys, j- give me a freaking break. Part of this is, again, Jake Browning has reps in this system. He's got time invested in this system. He has mega training camp reps in this system. A.J. McCarron, again, has that many. That's a zero for those listening on the podcast that Skinny is holding yeah, up I'm right sorry, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, zero. Yeah, my bad. I think I already know the answer to this, but we're not going to see anybody else at quarterback the rest of the year, you don't think, right? Doubtful. I mean, unless the kid just becomes an utter train wreck and a mess and can't get out of his own way and start seeing ghosts and all those things. Um, no, I, I don't. You brought up the running game, Skinny. Why wouldn't you be getting Chase Brown touches in that game? Do they hate him like Chris Evans? <laughs> so so I, I always forget that we're doing this as both a video medium and, a, and an audio medium. If it was just the video medium, I'd shrug my shoulders. I, I don't know why they didn't give him reps. I mean, um, they were ready to do it the week of the San Francisco game, and then he got hurt in practice. Um, you know, they talked this week as if they were ready to give him reps. And when we talked to Brian Callahan on Monday, he said they had a, they had a, a series of plays or some plays for Chase Brown that they just didn't get to. I know people have poked fun at that, and what, what does that, that mean? It means they just couldn't get him in the game because they ran so few plays. They, 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 I think they wanted to get him some. I do think. I'd be stunned if this Monday night you don't see five to seven touches from Chase Brown. Stunned. Mo Egger already made the jokes about th- their comments about they had plays for him and they just didn't get around to him. So I'm not, I'm not going to steal his jokes or rehash those, but I agree. Isn't that just an insane thing to say? Like, even if it's a, a legitimate point, he is. doesn't it just sound silly but, but to get you know, up there be- and say that? Yeah, but I just think he was being honest with us. And it's usually just a handful of writers that talk to the coordinators. It's, you know, six or eight of us. Um, it's on the record. So, again, we weren't taking something off the record. He said it on the record. Um, and it sounds silly, but I, I know what he's talking about. I mean, hell, Rick, I got a set of plays in basketball sometimes I don't get to. I, I don't get to this set or I don't get to that set. It happens. But in my mind, that is that is essentially saying, well, 
we had some like plays for him if things were going ideally, but since we were in a close game, we didn't want to run him out there or try him out. Well, yeah, or if they could have gotten more plays off, right? They ran 42 plays. I mean, they didn't run many plays to begin with. And that's fair, but Skinny, Joe Mixon's giving you essentially nothing. And and I'm not saying it's all on him, but my point would be Joe Burrow's down. Your offense isn't moving the ball. Joe Mixon's giving you nothing. Is there really much downside here to throwing Chase Brown out there for a series instead of Joe Mixon? Because right now, that's what you should be trying to figure out. He's one of the few guys that it's like, do you have something there or not? Yeah, no, I'm with the crowd that that, that suggests he should have played. And I, I, I think you did need to see if he could give you a spark in the run game. Um, you know, not all this is on Joe, but listen, Joe Mixon is, he's not washed, but he's not the Joe Mixon you'll all remember. He has no explosion, can't break tackles, doesn't make anybody miss, um, all of those things. I mean, he's got seven broken tackles this season. Uh, a couple of years ago for a season, he had 28. So that's an average of, you know, about one and a half a game. He's averaging about a half a broken tackle a game. He just doesn't do it anymore. Doesn't make people miss, doesn't have explosion. But I'll be honest with you, it wasn't blocked up very well either. So the eight for eight, some of it is on Joe Mixon. A lot of it is on scheme, on front. But yeah, to the point, listen, I'm with everybody. I, I want to see what you got in Chase Brown. I want to see, can he provide a spark? Can he turn a blocked up five-yard run into 15 or 20? Because one of the things that was talked about at the Combine, <clears throat> we talked to Brian Callahan there, was they're, they're wanting to get more explosive plays out of the run game. Well, Joe Mixon can't do that anymore. He doesn't do that anymore. Maybe Chase Brown can. And so, yeah, I do think this Monday, I, I think they will specifically get him uh, at least a series early to see what it looks like. Um, I think that's the other thing to do. Don't just run him in and out for a play. Give him a series. Let him get in some kind of a rhythm. Um, let your offense get in some kind of rhythm with him. Uh, I, I I truly think you'll see that on Monday night. Right. I mean, I, I completely understand this isn't going to happen, and guys are competing for their livelihoods and their jobs and a lot of you know million-dollar jobs. So I understand they're going to do everything they can to try to win, and they're not going to just say, let's throw a rookie out there the rest of the season. But I personally would love it if Chase Brown was the featured back the rest of the year, just so you know – what you're doing with that running back position going into next year. Is he, I mean, I can't imagine he's running back 1A and your go-to back next year. So is he a viable option to be your second back going into next season? Or do you just need to start over completely and find a whole new backfield? It's a great point. I'd like to find that out to your point. Yes. Um, You know, I just, I don't see any reason to bring Joe Mixon back for the price tag next year. It's just, in my opinion, it's just not worth it. I mean, if he does come back, it would literally be out of necessity of, Either you couldn't address it through the draft, you couldn't address it as a, as a secondary option in free agency because you're not going to go out and do something mega free agent-wise. It would be a secondary market guy, um, a Samaj P. Ryan type guy. Um, you know, and, and if he's back, it's out of necessity. And you see it, there's no explosion. So you're going to have the same thing in the run game again next year if he's your featured back. Yep. Skinny, what's the reason to get excited for Monday Night Football against the Jags? Because it's the only game going on at the time. Because <laughs> you can still gamble know. on it. I, I mean, honestly, if you do win and you've got the Colts coming up, correct. I mean, if you somehow do win this game, you have the Colts coming in the following Sunday. They're currently the, the third wild card team. It still keeps you in the wild card hunt if you win Monday night and then beat the Colts because you have the tiebreaker edge over them. So I guess if you hold out whatever faint hope there is for playoffs, and I think most people are leaning towards, I hope you lose out and get a better draft pick. And I understand those people. I get it. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess that's the only thing for me. If you're in the camp of you're still holding out hope that this team can do something and make some kind of positive run at the end of this season, um, that would be the only thing for me. I, I, I can't imagine what else there would be. And yes, of course, for those that want to gamble on it, there's the gambling aspect. That's right. There's always unders or whatever floats your boat. Uh, let's switch gears here to uh, college football, Skinny. The new college football playoff rankings were released Tuesday night. You had Georgia at number one, Michigan at number two after the win over Ohio State. Washington is at three, and Florida State is the fourth team in there. And now this is where things get interesting. Oregon is your fifth team. Ohio State is your sixth team. Then we have Texas and Alabama. Skinny, to me, there are a lot of arguments to be made. Um, There are arguments by Ohio State fans about why the hell is Oregon over us. There are certainly arguments by Texas and Alabama fans saying, why are either of these teams above us being Oregon or Ohio State? What were your thoughts when you saw the new playoff rankings? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what they were trying to do with this, right? Um, you know, the top three are easy. Um, I, I think Washington's going to wind up losing to Oregon, um, and, and that's probably going to take care of them. And then, you know, the Florida State one's interesting because if they do finish undefeated but have a backup quarterback, their chances in the playoff are very compromised, right? But you gotta, 
you got to give them their just due for what they've done all season long and, and being undefeated. Um, but if Louisville is to beat them, and, and I guess that's a, certainly a real possibility, even though Louisville just lost to Kentucky. I mean, it's a very real possibility. Then I, I, I got it. You know, Alabama was the one that can, I think, play its way in with a win. But at the same time, Texas beat them. <laughs> so then does Texas float above Ohio State at that point? I mean, it's, it's, it's just weird to me how this is all shaken down. I will say if you're an Ohio State fan, it's giving you at least some level of hope that you can sneak your way back in, but I still think it's remote. Well, Skinny, with Oregon sitting at number five now, I mean, Oregon, even though they have that loss, they are ahead of Ohio State, Texas, Alabama. Right. If, if they beat right. Washington, and Oregon's going to play its way in if it... Right. Yeah, so, but, it's going to play its way in if it beats Washington. Washington's going to fall out. Trust me. If, if Washington loses, it falls, I think, behind uh, everybody for whatever reason. I really do. But if 100%. Oregon loses, they're, they're, out of the, they're out of the wayside. But, Skinny, think about this for a second now. You've got a Washington team that's undefeated that already beat Oregon once. Now that they, they yeah. go, they lose to Oregon a second time, so those teams end up splitting, and yet Washington is now out and Oregon is – that makes that absolutely opinion, yeah. no sense to me. That yeah. makes no sense. I mean, I that's would, clearly I would say what they, I would say this. Yeah, I would say this. They've not looked very good of late. They, they've been Washington. winning some games by the skin of their teeth. Yes, and, and I Agreed. think that, that still weighs into it, the totality of the season, not just that one-off against each other. And maybe, maybe, and maybe they are looking at the one-off against each other. That Listen, if Oregon wins, they're both in. If Florida State loses, they're out. I mean, look, it's a long shot still for Ohio State to get in, for Texas to get in, for Alabama to get in. And this is the year where you can look and go, thank God we're expanding this thing in the near future. Uh, on one hand, I feel like Ohio State should feel that they got absolutely screwed by being behind Oregon. Because there's no way that in a close loss to Michigan, they should have dropped behind Florida State and Oregon, in my opinion, and probably not even behind Washington, if we're really being honest. If we're like, well, who's going Florida to be favored State, on a neutral they, field? Yeah, the, the Florida State thing is just that they're unbeaten, and I think they're getting their just dues right, for the unbeaten. Same with Washington. Right. But, I mean, right. Oregon, there's absolutely no argument for it, quite honestly. Um, but at the same time, I would argue, if I'm Texas and I'll Alabama, be honest with you, we have more impressive resumes than Ohio State. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, Texas has also had think, a couple skin of their teeth moments. Yeah, but I th- but skin of the teeth is not losing games necessarily. And when you look at the wins that these teams have racked up, I mean, Texas having beaten Alabama is by far a much better win than Ohio State's win over Notre Dame at this point. You know, so, I mean, that, to me, that no, would right. be I, I, no, no question. Texas and Alabama would probably be, both be ahead of Ohio State, in my opinion. Uh, but I don't think that the playoff committee wants to deal with the confusion of what do you do if Alabama beats Georgia and yet they lost to Texas. I know it. So I think that's why yeah, those teams it, are it, seventh it, and eight. It's got a chance to be just a craziness. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's got a chance to just be craziness depending on what happens this weekend. If you were to give me one team, though, at the moment that I think wins the national championship, I'll be honest with you. I think it's Oregon. Really? I don't feel that way at all. I don't think Oregon or Washington are very good. Mm. Love them offensively. Washington's uh, kind of uh, backslid a little bit, but boy, Oregon's got it. Oregon's really good. I would take Georgia or Bama if Bama was able to get in, but I don't think you know Bama really has much. No, no team outside the top six has ever made it into the college football playoff after the last ranking. So um, I, I find it hard to believe Alabama would find their way in, but if they did, I think they could win it. Were you surprised at all that Michigan didn't go to number one off the Ohio State win? No. I don't think so. I think once Georgia got those couple of big SEC wins to where you could realistically claim they have a good resume, then it went back to what you had said all along, which is they are the top dog until someone else proves it because this team has just dominated everybody for the last two years. Yeah. All right, let's get into that Michigan-Ohio State game. The uh, Wolverines beat their rivals 30-24 to for the third straight year. I really cannot believe we're saying that. I had a terrible weekend betting, as you probably noticed if you paid attention to last weekend's podcast. This game hurt me. Uh, Skinny, who do you place the most blame on from an Ohio State perspective? Is it Kyle McCord? Is it Ryan Day or someone else? No, it's Ryan Day. I mean, whatever reason, Michigan's got his number and is in his head. Um, you know, the, the decision at the end of the half, that whole field goal decision is still mind-boggling to me. I, I don't understand that decision. If you had a, a, a kicker that was capable of doing that, then then yeah, that seems like the, the safe, smart play to make. 
but he doesn't have that kind of a leg. And you still had time to try to get further yards and you still had a chance to convert a fourth down. And he played that very scared to be quite frank. The other part to it is too, it's it, it again, goes back to the physicality aspect of it. Michigan in the trenches just wore them down. And you could see that on that drive that, they, they, you know, they chewed up all the clock and, and went down and kicked the field goal that forced Ohio State to then have to go score a touchdown. That's what this series has become about. It's become about Michigan being more physical than Ohio State. And I hate to say it, somewhere Lou Holtz is laughing and he was dead right. It is. I mean, Ohio State is the softer team in this game. And it's been that way for a few years. Now, you watched Ohio State all year. Their defense was great. And I never would have called this team yep. soft. But that's the game that matters. And if you're soft in that game or you appear to be soft in that game, I, sorry, that is what it is. I mean, you get paid whatever it is, $10 million or whatever to coach at Ohio State. I hate to say it, but that financial security and being post-economic after one year of working comes with you have to win one game. However unfair that may seem or however stupid that may seem, that's just well, the reality of the situation, and I get where Ohio State fans are at with Ryan Day at this point. Three straight years and that rivalry – it's real. It, and it was amazing how many how many ex-players came out against him. It was, boy, I mean, they were just burying his ass. Incredible. And, I mean, a lot, a lot of them were making the point that Urban made this to be the most important game all year long to where you, you hated Michigan, not because of Michigan, but because of Urban. Urban had driven you crazy because he had made it such a big deal all year long. Ryan Day seems like he's taking the Mick Cronin crosstown shootout approach to me. It's just another game. It's not that big of a deal to our guys. We downplay it. That never works in big rivalries. You cannot do that as a head coach. You have to treat rivalries with the right amount of respect. And this rivalry is as big as it gets. To act like it's another game or to try to downplay it is so silly. And uh, I I really believe that is Ryan Day's issue. I I think it is 100% a mental thing. And I don't believe this, but I'm going to ask you the question – is it fireable at this point for him, or is it another year or two of that? I don't think it's fireable after this season, but I understand why Ohio State fans are fed up with it and are legitimately asking the question. And there aren't a lot of situations where I would agree with this. I mean, look what Ryan Day's done. Look at the records Ohio State has had during his tenure. They've been in the college football playoff. They've had chances to win it all. They've had incredible talent at the quarterback position. So, in a lot of ways, I would say it is absolutely insane to be looking elsewhere aside from Ryan Day and what he's done here. But at Ohio State, that's just not how it works. And the other part about it is if you are Ohio State, you can almost always go out and find a great coach. That's just been how it's worked. So, I mean, the, the, yep. one, the bigger question I have is I think Ryan Day definitely gets another year. Skinny, are you going to the portal at the quarterback position are you good with the guys you have and saying you all compete with, with the great job or is this crazy? Are we overblowing this and it should be Kyle McCord's job going in next year? Yeah, I don't think it should be. It should be his job. I mean, I, I think you need to bring in competition for him and listen, the interception was, was bad. He threw an earlier interception, but for the most part all year, he took pretty good care of the football. The fact, again, it goes back to the trends. The fact they don't, they didn't want it consistently well all season long. I think put more pressure on Kyle McCord than was necessary all year. To some extent, I agree with that, but part of that is on Kyle McCord. The fact that you can't have any zone reads or anything with him because he has zero athleticism and can't make a play with his feet at all really limits you in Ohio State's offense specifically, but just in college in general. I mean, the college game, quarterbacks run, at least to some extent. you got to be at least a little bit of a threat so you can do some of that read option, zone read stuff that pretty much every team likes to do, and he's no threat. And the other thing about him, Skinny, is, is we can say he's taking good care of the football for the most part, but you have the terrible interception against, well, really a couple against Michigan. And yeah. then you ha- yeah. you go back to the Notre Dame game. And that was his crowning moment where he had that great end of the game drive to win that one. But within that drive, he should have been picked off during that game in that final drive. Yeah, he should have. Right. Dr- Notre Dame yeah, dropped right. an interception that was thrown right to him. So it's like he kind of has this MO of in the big moment, he throws the ball away. I, I I'm sorry. It's probably unfair because I'm comparing him to the type of talent that Ohio State has had at quarterback for the last, you know, three or four um, stretches here. Their last three guys, yeah, yeah. But he's just not even close to those guys. No, he's not. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, yeah, yeah. But again, I, I do think there has to be competition for him without without a doubt. 
Yeah, well, I, I don't know if Devin Brown is the only answer. I, I would think you might have to yeah. hit the portal. But then when you look around the country and you say, you know, I mean, how many quarterback portal transfers are there that are going to be guys that can win a national championship? Because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about can you be a good enough, can you be Devin Leary at Kentucky? That's not that's no better than what right. Kyle right. McCord at Ohio State, right? Like you need a guy that can win a national championship if you're trying to upgrade at Ohio State. And I just don't know how many of those guys will be available in the portal. I would say most of those guys are probably having success where they're at, at the team they're at, and they're not going anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, that that is the part of the portal that's it's interesting. Yeah, everyone wants to go claim the, the next big guy, but it's like it's rare that there are national championship winners out there at the quarterback position available. So I think that's probably where we'll leave that. What about Kentucky, Skinny? Kentucky upsets number 10 Louisville 38-31, a game that I just did not see coming at all. What does this do for you as a Kentucky football fan? Does it kind of put a nice bow on the season and make you feel a little bit better about things? It does because, uh, you know, I, I thought they were dead in the water. And, I mean, even at halftime, things weren't going well. And then Louisville scores to make it 17-7. And then Barry Brown has the kickoff return. And, it, and, it, and it's good to see. It's disappointing because Barry Brown as a receiver is just trash, unfortunately. I mean, he's, he, he just – he just is an effective – he's a terrible route runner. He doesn't catch the ball enough, but he is certainly dynamic on kickoff returns. And it seemed like maybe that was the spark that they needed to go, okay, let, let's finish this thing off the right way because credit to them. Like I said, I thought they were dead in the water at 17-7, to 7, and the, the second half to, to put up 31 points, seven on the kickoff return, yes, and the defense set up a couple of those uh, was pretty incredible. I mean, the ending was just ridiculous to – to, to think, you know, the Devin Leary interception that, that allowed Louisville back in it. And then it looked like, okay, it's fourth down. And they were about to sack the quarterback and Plummer scrambles and finds a guy for a touchdown to tie it. And then when Ray Davis pops that run, I'm yelling at the TV, go down, go down, go down, because I didn't want him to go in the end zone so fast. And he did, which is okay. I mean, he scored the touchdown. Hard to, hard to hate on him because he made a hell of a run to score the touchdown. And he had a, a hell of a game on top of it as a receiver. And then here comes Louisville marching back. And it just felt like, all right, they're going to score. And this is going to go to overtime. And they're going to find a way to lose in overtime. It's going to be the gut punch of gut punches to a season of gut punches. And, and to make the stop was was really incredible. So credit to, to everybody involved and, and Mark Stoops, his staff, and, and certainly the players for um, it would have been really easy to roll over at 17-7, to 7, in my opinion, especially with the way the season was trending. Yeah, this is why rival, rivalries are great. Because as a fan base, it's a disappointing year. You're coming down, everything feels sour, and this sucks, and some people are getting fed up with Mark Stoops and ready to move on from him, and just kind of a bad note to end the season. And then you pull off a win like that, and all is well. I mean, I saw UK football fans on social media that were as happy as I've seen them in a, a couple of seasons. It was, it just felt like that one almost felt more meaningful because everyone had counted UK out already. And I think there's something about that UK Louisville rivalry that just like. No matter what, regardless of how bad your season is, if you can ruin the other team's season, especially the situation Louisville was in, being that they were ranked number 10 and and um, really having kind of a special year and and really excited about their new coach, it's uh, it's just great. I, and I, I'll also agree with Mark Stoops that there is something different about going through an SEC schedule. It, it, it's just the no other question. conferences There's are no not doubt. the same. No, and I think there's a cumulative effect to that too. You know, it, you know, one week it's Georgia, the next week it's Missouri, the next week it's Tennessee, the next week it's Alabama, and then you have a letdown against South Carolina that is inexcusable. It totally is because South Carolina is trash. But I think, again, the cumulative effect of all of that takes its toll in some cases, and I think it took its toll in the South Carolina game, for goodness sakes. Well, I think it takes its toll on your team and beating them down and wearing them down and mentally and all of that. But I also think it acclimates you to another level of play. So when you go play no an ACC school in that last game of the season, it's like, oh, these guys are soft. I mean, these these guys just aren't the same level of athlete or physicality that we've been facing the last several weeks. And it kind of showed up there in the second half of that game, I thought. But uh, you mentioned Ray Davis. I, you know, Last week, we were talking about he and his father tweeting out only getting 12 carries and this week, he didn't get a ton of carries, but they found a way to get him the ball in, in some more creative situations, and he ended up with three touchdowns, two receiving. Uh, Liam Cohen, as I kept saying on the broadcast, Liam Cohen is in his bag in that game, Skinny. Yeah, no question. No question. Um, and again, I, I think the underusage of Ray Davis has been really stupid this season, in my opinion. I, Like I said earlier in the year, I, I thought it was to keep him fresh for the SEC, and then he had that great game against Florida. And then it felt like for the rest of the way, they just kind of, underutilized him and um you can see all the skill set he's got I mean, he had a he had a spectacular season yeah and barry and brown by the way there's uh three kickoff returns for touchdowns this season first 
Kentucky player to do that since Craig Yeast. Shout out to Craig Yeast, one-time Bengal guy too. I was I had a Craig Yeast autograph Craig from Yeast. Bengals training camp when yes, I was indeed. a little kid. Yeah, shout out to him. All wow, right, fine. do you still have it? I I highly doubt it. I highly doubt that. Uh, Cincinnati got smoked by Kansas, 49-16. They were actually winning at the end of the first quarter of this game, Skitty, and then they got outscored 21-7 to in the second Yay. quarter. Um, they allowed another touchdown right before the end of the first half, which, if anything, as a Cincinnati fan this year, I think that would piss me off more than anything that's happened, is yes. their obsession with giving up touchdowns with like less than a minute in the first half. They've done it three or four times now. I don't understand why that keeps happening. That is 100% a coaching thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, listen, this is going to forever probably be known as the Emory Jones was really bad season. Um, but to me, I'll be honest, the storyline that really gets me is just how bad the defense was all season. And especially how they, they got their teeth kicked in down the stretch. Um, and that's the part, and, and I, I did see Dante Corleone is going uh, to come back, which is um, at least a, a nice starting point. But he's one guy. I mean, I I thought, and I think everybody did, um, that there were enough pieces on defense to handle yourself good enough in the Big 12. And it looked like that for sure in the Oklahoma game. I mean, Oklahoma came in averaging 60 points a game and all these great things. And you see, defensively, defense kept them in that game. And I, I that seemed encouraging. Of a, okay, now look at the rest of the schedule in the Big, Big 12. Um, if the defense continues to do this, I, I think it also would have allowed – if the defense had been better, I think it would have allowed UC to not rely on Emory Jones even half as much as it did. I think they would have relied even more on the running game. And because the defense just got gouged, they would fall behind and have to throw to come back in it. And that that's not a spot Emory Jones is very good in. I think he's good in kind of that dual threat spot. So, I, again, I, 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 I said when the season started, I was not an Emory Jones guy. But uh, this season's not because Emory Jones stunk. This was honestly, to me, because the defense stunk and the coaching staff stunk. Uh, I would agree with that. And – I think there's a reasonable explanation to be like it's first year in the Big 12, first year head coach taking over after you had one of the best runs in school history. You knew there was going to be a rebuild to some extent coming on the back end of this. At the same time, is it okay to just essentially punt on the first year of your, you know, when you when you're moving up conferences and changing coaches like that, I mean, is this acceptable from a UC standpoint to basically just have a completely lost year like this? No, and 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 listen, I can go back to Luke Fickle's first year, which was kind of a lost year, four and eight, but that was also taking over a train wreck of a program at that point. So that was the start of a rebuild. I mean, listen, I, I didn't expect. I don't think any right-minded UC fan expected this team to come in the Big Twelve and waltz its way through like like it did the last two years. Um, last three years, really. Um, and again, some of those rosters have the guys in the NFL now. So those were obviously really good rosters. But to backslide to three and nine with the one win coming over a former American Athletic Conference team in Houston in the league with what what what's what's on the roster at the moment? I mean, you have to go to the portal to get significant help. And as you mentioned, everybody's looking for significant help. So what does that mean? That's the biggest thing for me. The biggest disappointment of this season, Skinny, is it feels like you're starting – in the same spot you started last offseason in, which is we need everything. We got to completely overhaul this roster. You didn't develop a young quarterback that's gotten better and is like, okay, he wasn't good enough to win this year, but at least we know what we have moving forward. You don't have the next young talent at receiver or running back. You don't have standouts on defense where you say, oh, at least this young core we can build around. I don't know what the, the optimism is looking forward within this UC football program. So, that would make it really hard for me as a fan to to feel like, okay, yeah, we just had a rebuilding year, and now we're going right back into another complete overhaul this offseason. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I've said it, and I hate to do it because um, I'm afraid Kentucky's going to be in this boat here sooner rather than later. When all this conference expansion comes about, everybody's excited to join the new league and somebody's going to go two and ten, and you don't think it's you. Well, UC didn't go two and ten, but it went three and nine. So I mean, no, no one would have. Listen, I thought they were five and seven ish. I think you had them six and six, maybe Rick, somewhere around that number. So we we were probably more optimistic than what turned out. Um, but I didn't foresee three and nine, and maybe that's the standard at the moment. That, that's unfortunate if that's the case. And I, I feel for UC fans because all that, and that's the thing, all that excitement over the run to the college football playoffs and and even the year before that, and, and even last year to some extent, now winds up in this mess. 
and I don't know how they dig out of it. And look, look, they can't buy Scott Satterfield out. I know everybody wants him out, and maybe rightfully so, but they can't buy him out. So you're stuck with that for probably a couple more years. And then when that happens, you're going to be starting again from scratch with a new coach and trying to have his recruiting base be built up. I mean, this looks like a a, a lengthy time to dig out of a tunnel, really, for, for, for this program. Uh, I will say, you, you mentioned that they can't move on from Scott Satterfield just yet, but last time one of the athletics programs at UC had a bunch of guys jump in the transfer portal, John Cunningham panicked and fired the head coach right away for cause, and they got himself in a legal battle. So who knows? Maybe maybe we'll see that again. Yeah, that's a fact. All right, let's move <laughs> that on. That would be really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Let's move on to college basketball, Skitty. Number 12, Kentucky beat number 8, Miami, 95-73 Tuesday night at Rupp Arena. For the first time ever, Skinny, Kentucky has made at least eight three-pointers in each of their first seven games of a season. This is truly a new-look Kentucky basketball team, new-look Kentucky basketball program, Skinny. It's just different now. Yeah. You know, you know the most impressive number from that Miami game is the number 26. You know what that is? Uh, I assists. Yes. 26 assists. That's a, that's a hell of a number, man. Um, to eight, to eight turnovers, you know, skinny. I, I think they're two most productive players. Correct. Yeah, correct. The most impressive thing to me, the funny part is the two most Im- impactful players on this team, in my opinion, and I'm not telling you they're the best, but the two most impactful come off the bench and Rob Dillingham and Reed Shepard. I mean, they really impact the game off the bench for this team. And, I think the biggest interesting part to see is how, how do you get these seven footers into this mix? Because the brand of offense they're playing right now really suits this bunch specifically. Now, again, when you get in the SEC and you need some more rim protection, you're going to need those seven footers. But offensively, this brand suits this bunch to a T. Yeah, no question about that. And th- this was the coming out party on a national level for Reed Shepard. We've been talking about him on this podcast a lot, but he had 21 points, was 8 of 13 from the field, 5 of 9 from three-point range. He's shooting like 80% from three on the year or something right now. He had uh, five rebounds, four assists, three steals in the game, which also his defense has just been incredible. He got a little bit of extra run in this one because DJ Wagner was injured in the first half. But um, Skinny, I'm with you on Shepard and Dillingham. And I also think this win really got UK's fan base going in a way that uh, I don't know that I've seen in, in a while. Um, is it fool's gold? Is, is it too early? Is this Miami team maybe a little overrated? Do you think it's a little too early to buy all in on this Kentucky team just yet? I don't think so um, because you can also throw the Kansas game into the mix. I, I, you know, And again, you can then throw St. Joseph's at me and go, well, how do you let St. Joseph's take you to overtime? I do think this team has defensive limitations because of the lack of size. And, and that the one thing is there is there's hopefully for them a remedy coming in, in Aaron Bradshaw sooner rather than later, it sounds like. And, um, you know, who knows about the other two seven-footers, but if you get one of them back, that certainly is going to, to help. I do think that's going to be the case. There's going to be some games that are going to wind up being shootouts against lesser opponents where uh, it is 95-88, and you're wondering how in the hell did that team score 88? Well, again, I think this team has some defensive limitations, but offensively, it is a dynamic team offensively. It really is. I was looking back at last season and the year before just recently to see like, okay, what, where does this win rank in terms of recent wins for Kentucky? Because that's, I mean, they just destroyed a highly ranked team that had been to final four and all of that. And um, I was shocked to see two years ago, the team that ended up losing to St. Peter's with Shibway beat North Carolina by 29 early that year, beat Tennessee by 28. And that was a really good Tennessee team, if you remember. They they eventually lost to them in the SEC uh, championship game. And they won at Kansas by 18 later in that year as well. Yep. So that team had some insane wins. So not saying this is fool's gold, but it is interesting to look back and think, oh, Kentucky actually has had a well, season where they had some monster wins like this uh, recently. And, that, and that, that team did wind up being a two-seed. Now it has no business losing to St. Peter's a 15-seed, but that was a two-seed in the NCAA tournament. So that was a good team. Oh, it was a great team at the end of the year. I, I was all in on them. So it uh, it's just interesting to co- do a little comparison because, I, like I said, Kentucky's fan base is, is jacked after this game. It's not just the winning and beating Miami so handily. It's the style of play, too, that is really getting the fans fired up. And I just don't think they've had this much excitement about a John Calipari team in a, a long time, to be quite honest. Uh, the, the, the thing that stands out to me more than anything about what this team is doing right now, Skinny, is what you pointed to right off the bat. 
the assist to turnover ratio. They have the lowest turnover percentage in the entire country right now. If you give John Calipari really good guards that are both dynamic and take care of the basketball and make good decisions, he's going to win a lot of games. I mean, his best teams have been guard-oriented, despite Anthony Davis. I mean, even that team had good guard play. No doubt. All right, let's move on to Cincinnati. They were blasted by Georgia – excuse me. They blasted Georgia Tech by 35 and then survived Howard in overtime, 86-81. We also got to see Aziz Bandego make his debut against Georgia Tech. He played against Howard as well. Um, And I do think, you know, the Howard game – we're not – let's face it. We're not learning a lot about UC right now through these non-conference games against no. teams like Georgia Tech and, and Howard, even if it was a close game. One thing we did see at the end of that Howard game is Dan Skillings is the go-to guy for this team. And he's been their best scorer, yes. and with them up by two, uh, or actually up by one, I believe, it was 70-69 with uh, like 20 or 30 seconds left. They went right to him out of a timeout, ran a set play for him. He went to the rim, scored, made it a three-point game. Uh, obviously, they... Howard went down and tied it to send it to overtime. But I think seeing that, seeing, okay, this is our guy right now, was an interesting moment if you're a UC fan because that was one of the big questions I had for this group coming in is who is going to be the go-to scorer? Who is going to be the late-game situation guy? And is whoever that is ready to fulfill that role? So far, so good from Dan Skillings in that regard. Yeah, and it, it, you know the way he's got the lineup right now because he's starting the two bigs, it, it does let you bring – Lacocious and, and Skillings off the bench. So it does give you nice firepower off the bench. But I think to your point, um, I, I don't think we know what this UC team is yet. I get I get the level of excitement, they're undefeated and all that, that thing. But you know they've got what now five quad four wins and one quad three or something along those lines. It's you know the strength of schedules in the high two hundreds of what they played. So they certainly should be uh, six and zero to this point. But the, the guy who really to me has taken that big step forward has been Dan Skillings. I'm with you on that. Um, you know, this was a guy that everybody talked highly about of what he had done in the offseason and seen him in practice. And I think he, that has certainly come to fruition. Yeah. In terms of Assis Bandego and his debut, his first two games, I think what we said on the last podcast has proven to be fairly accurate to this point. He is a difference maker. He changes their defense for certain inside. He helps them rebound. He makes them more athletic. But at the same time, I mean, you saw late in that game against Howard, they didn't have him on the floor uh, because one, I don't think he's you know fully ready. He's not quite up to speed yet. And two, right? I, yeah. I think yeah. he he doesn't give you any offense. I mean, he he's not a guy. He's a guy that can get tip dunks. He's a guy that you can throw lobs to, but he's not a guy that you're going to throw it to and say go score us a point in a late game situation. Um, and I think that's where UC is still going to have to find their way a little bit is on the offensive side because he he makes them better defensively. I'm not sure how huge the upside is on the offensive end for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I said he's a 10-7 and seven guy, and that's what he's averaging at the moment. That, and that's not awful. That certainly helps. I just don't I just don't know if that's a difference maker when you get in Big 12 play. I, it, does it help? It absolutely helps. There's no question. I don't want that to be misconstrued. He helps. Don't get me wrong. But he, he ain't playing Big 12 caliber competition yet, man. Let, let's let's slow the roll of what, what stars. I mean, everybody's talking about the, what, a, what a great performance. He had 8-9 against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is garbage, people. They are – that might be – I'll be honest with you. That, that Georgia Tech team might be the worst coach team I've ever watched. They were so – Damon Stoudemire doesn't have a clue what he's freaking doing. It's horrible. I mean, it's it's as bad as I've ever seen. I really wish NKU would have played Georgia Tech instead of NKU a couple weeks ago. Yes. I mean, instead of Cincinnati, yeah. that would have been great. Um, but, you, no, I mean, to your, to your point, the Georgia Tech game revealed nothing. And uh, Assis is, is doing fine. When you say he's not a difference maker, to be clear, I think what you're saying, he's not a difference maker that gets you over the hump of the best teams in the Big 12. That's not to say he doesn't make a difference Correct. for UC's roster. Right Correct. Now. Yes. Yeah. No, I, there's no doubt. I mean, like I said, 10, 10 and 7 is a nice – those are nice numbers. Those are helpful numbers. Those are not getting you over the hump to an NCAA tournament. Yeah, and we'll continue to see. I mean, he's got – you know, he's only played two games – Maybe he'll really come on strong and continue to give them more. Uh, we'll just have to wait to find that out. The other side of town, no, he, Xavier. He's, gonna you, oh, he's going to. Hang on, he's going to dominate Bryant. Everybody's going to get excited. Xavier's big men dominated Bryant, and they stink. <laughs> and we're going to talk about them right now. They beat Bryant 175, and then they lost a bye game at home to Oakland, 78-76. Skinny, the interior defense. Here's the problem with it. It's not that it's bad. It's not that it's soft. It's not that they couldn't stop a Horizon League All-Star from looking like an NBA player. 
It's that I don't know that there is a fix to it. I don't know that they can improve right. on it. And that would be my big concern if I'm a Xavier fan. No question. Um, and and I, I'm going to guess they really felt good about themselves dominating the way they did against Bryant. And then suddenly, um, you know, you play even hey, – listen, Oakland's probably, what, fourth best team in the Horizon League? Maybe, maybe no, they're going right. to play the way into something better than that, Rick. But what are they, fourth? Yeah, right Right now, in terms of Ken Palm number, they're right up at the top with Wright State. I don't know who's in front now, but it's them or Wright State. So, Okay. Okay. So, yeah, but, I mean, again, it's still a Horizon League team. And, yeah, I don't know what the fix is. And, and to your point, I mean, can you imagine what Houston's physicality is going to do to them on Friday? No. I mean, and Houston isn't a big front court, to be clear, but they are as the most physical team in the country. And defensively, they're unbelievable. Yes. I mean, I don't know yeah, how Xavier's uh, going to score. I don't know how they're I mean, going to rebound. That, <laughs> it's going to be brutal. But I, yeah, this I'm, is I'm also that. It, and, and this is also I a team skinny. Go ahead. Sorry. Finish. No, I was going to say, I, I, and to your point, I don't know what the fix is. I don't think there is a, unless, I mean, hell, maybe you have to just stand in a 2-3 zone like, like you're in sixth grade. Yeah, and that's what a lot of teams wanted against Oakland. Why didn't they change defenses? Because they gave up 28 points to Trey Towns in a 6-6 forward that they couldn't guard and you know part of the problem is Oakland is a weird offense where it's basically like we're going to throw it to this one forward let them isolate you to death and if not that we've got one of the best shooters in the country that's just running around jacking every three-point look he can get you don't necessarily want to go zone and lose track of the only other guy on their team that can hurt you which is an elite three-point shooter Um, I think that the real argument that should be made and, and it's the one Sean Miller made is I he hadn't installed a double team trap of the post yet um a little surprising being that they already played Purdue and played against Zach Eady that they hadn't put that in. Um, and I think what, when fans hear that, they, they think, what do you mean? You just go double team the post. It's not that complicated. The issue is it's not, again, yeah, this, it is. this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with like the Bengals coaches, right? You're in the middle of a season. If you're Sean Miller, you get paid millions of dollars to be the head coach at Xavier. You're not giving away a game at Oakland because you decided you wanted to change up your defense. It wasn't Xavier wasn't down by 15 in this game. It was nip and tuck the whole way. Their defense wasn't good enough, but it's what they had practiced and it's what they had answers for. It's what they knew. If all of a sudden you let Oakland go on a 10-0 run because you changed defenses and you gave up two wide open threes because you're doubling down on the post and your rotations weren't right, well, now you are going to lose the game to Oakland. And sure, it turned out that you lost the game anyway, but that's not the way coaches are thinking about that in the moment. Yeah, my, my buddy and I were talking about Sean's comments uh, last night. He's a Xavier season ticket holder, and, and he he's a he's a basketball guy. Um, and, and so he wasn't going over the moon like crazy. Like, how do you not do it? It was more we were just – I said, you know, it makes me wonder him saying that if they've been so far behind in installation stuff because guys aren't getting it that he didn't get to that. And that happens sometimes too. And that's unfortunate if your players aren't getting even the simplest stuff that you have to keep doing that over and over and over so they can get it. That to me is more of an indictment on them. Well, and part of it is just, Skinny, there is a real language barrier. They brought three foreigners over right before the season started. So those guys didn't have a chance to be there right. for the summer install when you're going over things really slowly and explaining in detail and whatever. You got into practice and all these guys needed those beginning building blocks to start with. They didn't have any of them when they got here. And the rest of the team's like, let's go. We're ready to be in full-fledged practice uh, getting into details like, post traps and double T all those types of things and maybe more zone defense work. So um, I think that is a very good point that the makeup of this year's roster. And again, you don't have two really talented forwards that you expected to have in midsummer, And that's a big reason why you're facing the situation. A big reason why you had to bring in last minute foreign big men that, that don't know your system and are taking a while to learn, but that's a real thing. The whole getting guys up to speed and trying to teach them and the slow learning curve in preseason practices, that was all very real. I was in those practices. I saw it firsthand. I don't think there's any doubt that that's what happened to Sean Miller. And there's probably a few other things that they may run into. That's like, no, we just didn't quite get to that yet. And to his credit, he said, look, we won't lose another game like that the rest of the year. Like, we will go over it now. We will put that in. But we just had not gotten to it yet. Yeah, and I fully understand. I, and I appreciate his honesty in that regard. I really do. That's the one thing that he is phenomenal with. I said not the one thing. It is one thing that he is phenomenal with is he is very blunt with his quotes, with the media, with the things he says to his players. It's like everyone knows where he stands on pretty much everything. I mean, Abu Usman, he's talking about how – uh, he's going to set a world record for slapping guys in the chest and face, and he just can't play a second without fouling. Like he is bluntly honest about all of these guys, both on his coach's show and in post game press conferences. And I think that is refreshing because you hear so many cliches from all these coaches. Yeah, 
All right, Skinny, let's get into our betting segment. Last week, you went four and four. You are now 47, 43, and two. I went three and five. I'm 44, 46, and two, under 500 on the year now. And Skinny, you hit another big teaser. Atlanta plus six and a half, Cincinnati plus seven and a half, Houston plus eight, and New York Giants plus nine and a half hit again. I think that's your fourth, maybe fifth teaser that you've hit this season. You've been on a nice run with those. Hopefully some people have been playing along on that. My hater parlay lost. It was in bad shape. I think only one, I guess Steelers were the only leg that covered. So that didn't work out in my favor at all. We've only got one game yeah, Rick, this week, Skinny. Yeah, Rick, I got to tell you, to your point on Ohio State, I had a, a I don't play many 16 parlays. I, I had like four bucks left on a bunch of, I did a bunch of tickets. I looked up, I got four bucks left. I'm like, I'm just going to make a multi-leg $4 parlay. So I put together a six-teamer, hit every leg, except I had Ohio State plus three and a half. Oh, I mean, they should have covered the three. Uh, that's a, the, the three and a half. I mean, that's just what drives me crazy. It should have been a three-point game. Uh Monday, 8-15, Bengals at Jaguars is our only game this week. There's no college football games of local interest. The Jags are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 38, Skinny. Yeah, this game was under the seven-point threshold. I think it would be a clear Jaguars play. I, I You know, as goofy as this sounds, and, and you know, the, the term trap game comes about, they're coming off a really big win in Houston inside the division. I mean, that was a huge win for them to kind of take control of the AFC South um, uh, you know, and, and kind of give themselves a little bit of a cushion. Now you look at a Bengals team with a backup quarterback, and there's the natural, who we're good to go. So I, I, I do think the Bengals cover the, the number. I don't, there's, I don't think they go win by any stretch, but I'll, I'll go Jags. I'll go Jags 23, Bengals 17. 2017, 23, 17. So that's Bengals and the over there at 40. Um, uh, we're on completely opposite sides of this game. I'm going to go Jags 24, Bengals 13, uh, Jags and the under. I basically at the same boat I was last week. I just don't think this Bengals offense is going to be able to score, and I think the Jags are a solid NFL organization right now. Skinny, what do you like for your best bet of the week? Um, Give me the number in the SEC championship game, if you would. I think it's five. I think Georgia's I think five. I think that's right. I'm going with Georgia. I I I, th- I think they're going to prove that they are the best team in the country uh, in this game. Listen, I know Alabama offensively has been playing really good, and I know it's probably a recency bias on my part of, of Alabama letting Auburn hang around an Auburn team that lost to New Mexico State the week before. I, I just think I think Alabama is very mediocre defensively. Um, they're, they're pretty good offensively. This Georgia defense isn't the Georgia defense of the last two years, but but I do think Georgia's starting to hit on all cylinders. I think Georgia wins by 10 points plus in, in the SEC title game. All right, that game is at 4 o'clock on Saturday. And according to DraftKings right now on Wednesday morning, Georgia is a 5.5-point favorite. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Uh, as for my bet of the week, I've got an NFL teaser that I'm going to take one out of your, your playbook. I'm going to go Eagles plus 9, Browns plus 9.5, and, and Jags minus 2.5. Who's Cleveland got? Cleveland has um, – they have the Rams. Oh, bad against bad. Yep. They've got the Rams at, at nine and a half. I, uh, I like them. So that brings us to the Ask Any Anything portion of the program where we did not get a lot of submissions this week. So I will put that out there to you guys again. I mentioned this a few weeks ago if, uh, you know, if we just stop getting suggestions, we'll gladly lop off this part of the show. But most people tell us this is the only part of the show that they listen to. So if you want this to be a robust part, you, you got to do your part and submit questions. We'll start with a question that if you watched the broadcast of the Cincinnati Howard game on Tuesday night, you will understand. It's uh, in honor of the Victor Lakin-led 22nd-ranked Bears win tonight. What is Skinny's worst sports broadcast ever witnessed? that was it. I mean, listen, I, I did some stuff for a, for a small cable company when I first got started called Cable One Productions of Northern Kentucky. It was all volunteers. Those productions were better. Our friend Chad Brendel did some games for, what was it, TBNK, right? Yeah, Those TBNK, productions yep. were better. Yeah, those productions were better. That was – and so last night we we meet every year in honor of a, a deceased former colleague of ours. A bunch of us get together. We were at the Holy Grail last night, and they had that broadcast on, but they had the sound down. And you and I were talking, I didn't know this was a question, but you and I were talking about this earlier. So all we saw was the video portion of it, which was a five ring 
train wreck disaster. I mean, the, the tying shot, you, all you saw was the swish at the end that sent the game to overtime. I didn't realize, to your, you, you, told, you said the broadcasters themselves were horrific, which I guess kind of added to the mix of how bad that was. That was the other thing. During the game, I'm looking and I'm seeing the number 22 by, by you. I'm like, they're right, 20, where? How did I not see that? Where, where did they get ranked twenty second? Did I miss? And I literally had to go to my phone and look at rankings, going, "Wait, what? What am I missing here?" I I want to know the number of people that double checked the AP top twenty five last night because they were watching that game. I did it. I, I was like, I know. I just I looked at it this morning, and I know for a fact they were others receiving votes. They had like two votes or something. They were one of the last teams listed. How did they jump up to twenty two? Maybe I'll maybe I accidentally looked at last week's poll or something, and then of course I. Uh, I went to look at it again, and sure enough, they are absolutely not the 22nd ranked team in the country. They are also not the Bears. They are the Bearcats, and it is not Victor Lakin. It is Victor Lockin. Um, I really appreciate that, the research they did the for this broadcast. Him? Yeah, Victor Lakin, which it was a big game for Victor Lakin, so they called his name an awful lot. And uh, yes. the, the best part the best part of the broadcast, though, wow. Skinny, was the only time they actually had the, the cameras held steady for any portion of action was during the timeouts when they would pan up into the stands to film the crowd dancing. And that oh, was, was an electric factory. That is no reason way. enough to that go to Howard. Yeah. Especially when you're watching it in a bar with other people with the sound down and all of a sudden it pans to that. You're like, what is going on here? No music. And you just see twerking on the screen. Gotta love ESPN plus. It is truly an experience I mean, I, unlike I, I, any other. Do you have an answer to that question of what's the worst broadcast you've ever, I mean, that has to be it, right? I don't know if that's the worst just because there was like some, I mean, you got to understand Xavier's recruiting these overseas guys now. So I've watched some crazy internet streams over the last year. Um, but in terms of like actual domestic broadcast that people were trying and that was on a real platform like ESPN plus, that's definitely up there. It, do you, do you have a least favorite broadcaster? Uh, that people Beth know? Moens. Yeah. Beth <laughs> Moens from, because I, she, Whenever somebody gains a yard, it's yards. They get 15 yards. Who talks like that? Nobody talks like yards. Hey, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. He's dreadful. Dreadful. Do you know who my guy is? No, who? Spiro Didis. Really? I think not not because he's the worst. I don't think he's the worst. I don't think he's good, mind you. Um, he drives me nuts. And one time years ago, this was back when Rudy Johnson was playing for the Bengals still. Uh, there was a play, and you, this happens to every broadcaster. You look down at your sheet or you're writing something down, whatever, and you look back up and the play's already happening. And you didn't see how it happened, so you kind of have to figure it out, right? And instead of just calling what he saw, I, dude was like he caught a flea flicker at one point that just didn't happen. There was absolutely no handoff, like no handoff, no pitch back. It was just a normal play. And he's like, flea flicker. And so I said something about it on Twitter. Uh, mind you, this is years ago. I'm a nobody. I have, and I'm still a nobody, but like, no, I didn't have any followers. I wasn't a media member myself. And uh, after the game, I get a DM from Spiridides. And he's just like lighting me up. Absolutely livid that I would call him out for saying that. And I was like, well, look, my man, I mean, it's a pretty simple solution. Just don't make up things that absolutely didn't happen. And if you're going to, definitely don't like go the most drastic route possible and call it a flea flicker. Just be like, oh, a run what, what or a response? normal pass. What was his response? Nothing. He was just very – he sent me like – that? Did he respond back? Multiple paragraphs. It was just about like um, if you're trying to get into this business, you have no idea what you're doing, da, 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 which I mean some of it he's right about, but also I didn't care. And he's a loser and he's soft. Yeah, that's that's weak. That's some weak sauce. I wonder how many yards that flea flicker gained. Was it twenty four yards or forty three yards? He wouldn't know. He was looking down at his roster sheet because he didn't prepare enough the night before. I guess I don't know. Uh, what was the most annoying thing oh, Skinny's God, family did during Thanksgiving? What was the most annoying thing Skinny's family did during Thanksgiving? Actually, it was a great Thanksgiving. We, uh, my son in law and I, uh, watched. He's a big. He, he's got family in Michigan, so we watched the Lions uh, game. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of talked through that as we watched it. Um, cooking was going on in the background. After that was over, you know, we watched a little bit of the first half of the Dallas game and had a nice Thanksgiving dinner, came back out, um, you know, had a nice visit watching the end of the, the, the Cowboys game. And then they all wanted to watch a Christmas movie. So I retired to the bedroom and watched the uh, Mississippi State game. So honestly, there was nothing annoying about this Thanksgiving. It was a great Thanksgiving. 
That's uh, that sounds excellent. I'm sorry if you heard that sound there that just blared through my speakers. That was that was an accident. We've got a uh, we've got a quick video someone wanted me to share with you coming up here. But before we get to that, skinny, uh, one of the last questions here was, who would you like to meet? Any person, living or deceased, who would you choose? Who would I like to meet? Babe Ruth. I, I just. The, I, I don't, don't don't even know why that would be. I, he just fascinates me to see somebody who was so good at what he did with that physique and to live the lifestyle he lived. I mean, truly, th- just the best for that reason alone, right? If you if you just did nothing but gorge yeah. your face with food, alcohol, smokes, women, and then just went out and hit dingers, I mean, it's hard to be more legendary than Babe Ruth. And before he hit dingers, he was a, one of the best pitchers in baseball. True. True. Now, granted, they were like, hey. He was hey, a better version of Shohei Otani. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah. Something like enough. that. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Skitty, let's get to this. We'll wrap it up with so, – if you're listening, sorry, this ain't really going to do much for you. But if you are watching, here's a video that someone wanted to send because uh, a few weeks ago we got into a conversation. I don't even know what we were talking about, but you were doing a milk it signal, if you remember. Milk, milk the clock. Yes. You're milking it here on yes. camera for us, for our YouTube fans. And someone really liked that, and they wanted to see if you saw Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith's signal for milking the clock. All right. <laughs> oh, for the love of Mary, I did not. So for those that can't see this, he is um, – he is squeezing his breasts, for lack of a better term. Oh, my heavens to Betsy. <laughs> That's, I mean, yours well, is I pretty good. Not you did the that. traditional, the traditional, like a cow milk motion. This man just went straight to his own breast and is just feeling himself up on the sideline. Wow. Shout out to Oregon State head well, coach. In, in all fairness, the, yeah, in fairness, the one I, I took was actually a Bruce Cosett when he was coaching the Jets. That was his milk it, milk it. Uh, that, that's fair, but the one John Smith used, that's thats almost obscene. That's thats an OnlyFans move right there, quite honestly. That's a bit much. Yes. Yes, it is. Maybe, that, maybe that's why he jumped ship to Michigan State. Oh, oh now they have a history of that in their head coaching department. <laughs> all right. Yes, they do. That's yes, all they got. do. Old Mel. All right, good stuff. Thanks for the questions, as always. We'll be back next week. Thanks for being with us. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poetry edition presented by Blake, the attorney Basin.